very special guest, uh, one of the most creative minds in professional wrestling, and uh, a lot of people like to say he's one of the most controversial figures, but to me, he's A-OK. The one and only, Mr. Vince Russo. How you doing, Vince? James, how you doing, bro? Thanks for uh, having me on today, man. I appreciate it. Awesome, and uh, how's it over your way? All good? <laughs> yeah, good. I was just telling you before we came on the air, man, we had a massive, massive blizzard uh, over the weekend. And I mean, bro, literally for the last three days, I mean, I've been trying to shovel my way out. It's uh, it's it's brutal, man. I'm just waiting for it to melt. Yeah, like I said, we're, we're, well, we're in March now and uh, the spring is starting to come now. So we're starting to get a bit of sunshine and it's I, I work outside all the time. I'm a builder. So when the sunshine is hitting me outside, I'm loving it. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Cool. So I suppose we'll jump straight into it. So you join in WWE. So I know you've mentioned previous that it was a Linda McMahon message to be on the magazine. But uh, tell us how it came about and what was your first day like walking through Stanford? Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, bro, it, you know, a, a lot of people like don't really understand, but I was in a position at that point in my life where like I needed a job. Like, uh, you know, it's funny, man. You guys get Netflix over there, right? That's right. Yeah. There's a great documentary on Netflix right now about the last blockbuster in the United States. Right. And uh, the reason why I bring that up, bro, is because I had two very, very successful mom and pop video stores. Uh, you know, bro, I had a wife, I had a couple of kids, and I had two very successful video stores, and bro, Blockbuster just moved in and put me out of business. Yeah. So, bro, I needed a job. I mean, you know, like I said, man, I had a wife, I had a couple of kids, I needed a job. Um, somebody by the name of John Arezzi, um, who had a wrestling radio show came into my video store to want to see if I wanted to do some advertising. And that's kind of where I made the connection into wrestling because quite frankly, I was looking for another career path. Yeah. So, uh, I started with a resi, uh, we went our separate ways and I started doing my own radio show. But again, bro, it was like, I was trying to build something for a second career. And um, the, the radio show I was doing, Vicious Vincent's World of Wrestling, I was paying for the airtime. And I literally was running out of money. So I just wrote Linda McMahon a letter. I said, my name is Vince Russo. This is what I've been doing. Um, this is my background. I would love any kind of an opportunity. I had no idea Linda oversaw the magazine. I did not know okay. that. But sure enough, man, Linda McMahon herself called me and she hooked me up with the then editor of the magazine. He called me a guy by the name of Ed Rashuti, who is a great, great, great man. And he started me off freelancing for the WWE magazine, man, bro, probably going back to 1993, probably. Oh, wow. Cool. And I've always said that Linda is quite easy going because when uh, Warrior was still with us, God bless him, uh, I knew that he had a really good relationship with Linda. And by the sounds of it, you got along with Linda when you first applied for a I job. Love, I love Linda, bro. Linda was such a professional and such a pro. And, bro, you know, I, I, I worked directly for Linda when I was doing the magazine and she was great. I mean, she was great. I have all the respect 
in the world for that woman, bro. It's the, the, the McMahon um, dichotomy is really weird because yeah. it's like Shane and Linda are really, really good people. They're really, yeah. really good people. But like Vince and Stephanie on the other side are like just completely different. It's very, very weird. I was very much more of a Shane yeah. Linda Awesome. I've heard that. I've heard people say like Shane. A lot of people's hoping Shane will take over one day, but I think it looks like bro, it's going to triple H. Bro, let me tell you something. Uh, I'll, and first of all, it's going to be very interesting to see what's in Vince's will. But yeah, bro, a yeah. lot of people are saying should Shane take over? Should you know Stephanie and Triple H? No, bro. Linda needs to take over. That's who needs to take over, bro. Because I think Linda would eliminate all the wrestling political BS and run a successful business. Not that they're not successful, bro. The WWE yeah. with all these deals they're making, they're making money hand over fist. So I'm not trying to suggest they're not successful. What I'm talking about is they're two different things. They, they have a horrible, horrible, horrible television product. And I really believe, I really believe that Linda McMahon would bring in the right people to maybe turn that around. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, I mean, we'll get into it later on, but definitely need to change. Uh, yeah. And speaking of change, so it was uh, Bill Watts that started dragging you towards the creative meetings. Uh, so before we get into the change of the guard for creative, what was the attitude of the locker room and of the main office, at, like seeing Raw losing every week to Nitro? What was like the attitude of Vince and like Cornette and Pritchard during that time? Bro, I got to tell you... <laughs> Bro, you said you're uh, your own boss or you work for somebody? Uh, Self-employed, yeah, me on boss. Okay, well, bro, it, it's very weird because, you know, I, I own several businesses myself. Bro, it's very weird. In the wrestling business, it's like nobody is ever held accountable. Right. And, bro, th this is every company I worked with across the board. Like, no matter how low ratings go, no matter how bad things get – like nobody ever got fired. And, yeah. and and quite honestly, bro, yeah, we were getting our butts kicked by WCW. Bro, the only one I really think it was affecting was Vince McMahon, but he really wasn't getting rid of the people that he needed to get rid of. Yeah. That was ju just like now, bro, yes. it's, fast forward to, to he, it's the same exact thing, bro. Nobody is ever held accountable in wrestling. And I just never understood that, bro. Come on. You know, you've got employees. If, if they don't deliver for you, they're gone. Exactly. Bro, in re I, I don't know how far you let your ratings go until you just clean house of everybody that's got anything to do with it and start from scratch, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, how low are they going to let these ratings go? And, like, you know, I've been a WWE fan my whole life. I've been watching it since I've been three-year-old. I've been watching it nearly 30 years, okay? So I'm loyal to WWE. But, and... But at the same time, I'll be the first one to criticize when they do something wrong. And it's like, come on, guys, just do something. But it, it's similar bro, to like your position bro, when you was before you took over. I understand 
the loyalty. There are a lot of things I'm loyal to. Okay. But bro, like I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Like I'm a big baseball fan. Okay. Yes. If my baseball fa- uh, team stinks, but they're really trying and the front front office is trying to make trades and they're developing the minor league system. You know, if I see them really trying and I'll know, okay, bro, two or three years, they're really going to be better. Like I'm fine with that. But my problem with the WWE is bro. I don't see that effort. I don't see them trying. So like, so to me, it's like, Bro, why should I be loyal to you if you're obviously not working for your fan base? Like, you're not trying. I think what's happening, James, is, bro, they're suckering in a lot of people. They're suckering in networks. They made the deal with Saudi. They're bringing in so much money on the outside, bro. And I, I keep saying the, the people that are going to lose out are the people like you. The yeah. loyal fans, because, bro, as long as people keeps paying them money, bro, there's no reason for them to turn their product around. Exactly. What, what does it matter? Bro, if a peacock is going to pay them a billion dollars to put hopscotch on the air, then they're going to put hopscotch on the air every week. Well said. And uh, speak of the change. So when you got into creative, one of the main guys who benefited from it was Steve Austin, Austin 316. So... The original plans for King of the Ring, correct me if I'm wrong, was for Triple H to win it that year, 96. But obviously, the curtain call happened and he had to get punished. So what? why was it that Steve Austin ended up getting chosen to win the King of the Ring and the rest of his history? Bro, there's such a different environment today. And, and I blame it on the talent because yeah. the the talent of old, they worked for the same guy. They worked under the same system because bro, let me, let let me, let me tell you a little bit about Austin. Every time a new talent came into the WWE, I would have a meeting with Vince because I would be like writing and producing for that talent. Okay. Mm -hmm. So when Austin first came in, I had the meeting with Vince about the Austin and Vince gave me, you know, he's the ringmaster. He's never to say a, a word. DiBiase's to do all the talking for him. Yep. So, bro, I and I told that to Steve. I'm like, bro, here, here's the mandate. This is the mandate from Vince. And, bro, Steve constantly used to be in my ear. Vince, come on, bro. You, you got to figure something out. You got to give me a chance to talk. You got to constantly, 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 constantly. Right, bro? So um, finally, bro, there was a raw where there was an opportunity to put Steve Austin on color. Right. And, bro, we put Steve on Austin, and I remember listening to it live, and right then, Steve Austin was born. And, yes. and Steve, bro, Steve literally had a three-minute window, and that three minutes made Steve a multimillionaire. Yeah. But 
But that's what I'm saying, bro. Steve did not fall in line and keep his mouth shut and put his head down. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. He was like, Vince, you got to find me a spy. Like he was relentless. And because he was relentless, bro, it's like I was always looking for that spot. And then as soon as Steve had that one opportunity, bro, he just knocked it out of the park, man. He did. And, uh, Basically, it just comes down to it. Sorry for my language. It just had balls. And yeah, that was it. Does, it. it absolutely, bro, I said so many things to Vince McMahon where he should have fired me. But the yeah. reason why he didn't was because he knew, even though I was disagreeing with him, I was telling him in the best interest of the company. There was no gain for me. I was telling him because I really cared about his company. But, yeah, bro, it it does take balls. But, you know, when you're confident, bro, right, you got you to gotta speak up, man. Yeah, that's true. And uh, one of my favorite uh, feuds during this time, and uh, I'm pretty sure you was booking most of it, was the Hart Foundation for uh, America. And Bret Hart, like me growing up, to me, Bret Hart was always this beloved baby face. But... He came back, and the switch between him and Austin, both dead. he was never really well known for his mic skills, but in 97, he couldn't be touched. So what was it like for yourself seeing this every week? Like, one minute he's getting booed out the arena every, uh, in America, Bret Hart is, and then around the rest of the world, he's the b- biggest baby face. I watched, uh, I meant to be mission last year to watch every Raw in 97. I was not disappointed. So what was it like overseeing this? Well, bro, the beauty of this is, and that's what's missing today. Bro, it happened organically. Yes. It was just organic. And, bro, when something is happening organically in wrestling, bro, you got to sit back and let it happen. And a lot of times, bro, like you have no idea where this is going to go. You just got to let it play out and you got to let it happen again, bro. That's something that just does not exist today. Everything today is forced at us. This is what it's going to be, whether it makes sense or it doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter, man. We let things just organically happen. And that's bro. That's where the magic is created when it's not forced. I mean, obviously, WWE's kind of had their hands tied with the pandemic, not being able to have fans in the arena. I know they've, you know, tried to do like the Thunderdome and stuff, but it's that feeling from the fans. Like we see the uh, wrestlers on TV, and it's like, oh yeah, he seems to be doing okay. But without that audience in the arena, we can't actually tell who's actually getting over because well, it's you, all manufactured. You, but but James, you kind of can because they're still getting the numbers. You right. see, you see, James, the, the television viewer and the live crowd are two different things. So yeah. it is great to get that immediate reaction from the live crowd. But, bro, when you look at those TV ratings, you're getting those ratings minute by minute. So you're seeing, OK, who's in the ring when they go up? Who's in the ring when they go down? You're seeing this. And, bro, we were students of the ratings, like the ratings dictated everything. When I say the ratings dictated everything, that was the people. So the people dictated everything, bro. Today, I don't even think they freaking pay attention to the ratings. And again, like I said, when Peacock is handing over billions of dollars, 
Why do I care about the ratings? Yeah, true. Cool. And uh, also Jonas Feud. So uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So I mean, at this point, they just they just well, they literally ripped each other's hair out. And um, we, and, and we went with it. We just, we just went yeah. with. Oh yeah. So Montreal screw job. I mean, what hasn't been said about it? But when it all happened. Um, what was it like? I mean, I, would, I don't know if you had any idea it was happening, but when it actually happened and Vince told the ringkeeper to ring the bell, what was the reaction from the locker room? And like, was there anyone? I know Mick Foley was generally upset about it, and they like left the next day till we came back. But what was the attitude like during that locker room when that happened that night? Oh, bro, it was horrible. It was terrible. It was it was really really bad. But bro, like having been a main part of that as much bro as i've had my differences with vince mcmahon over the years okay yeah. bro i still i still have to say i really believed that you know vince was protecting his company bro vince vince was afraid you know bro keep in mind the alunda alundra blaze thing had just happened with her yeah. throwing the title and vince was afraid the same thing was going to happen and let's face it bro eric bischoff was a snake capable of you know talking bread into burning the belt on fire or whatever so I know as a fact, without a shadow of a doubt, bro, it was nothing personal with Brett as far as Vince loved Brett. That had nothing to do with it. It was yeah. about protecting the integrity of his company. And like, bro, to this day, I will still back Vince's decision up with that, bro. And I, bro, I've had many conversations. I've talked to the Mick Foley's. I've talked to the Brett Hart's. And I told Brett exactly what I'm saying to you, bro. I know I said, I know you'll never see this side of it, yeah. but Vince was trying to protect his company. It was, it was nothing personal towards Brett. Right. But it was, and, uh, it was, it was a horrible, horrible, horrible day. Yeah. I mean, I'm the biggest Brett uh, fan in the world. So yeah. when, I, when uh, I must have been like eight year old when it happened. So, you know, a bit upset, but you know, you grow up and you learn what was yeah. actually happening. But yeah, and bro, I love Brett. I mean, bro, the, the Canadian hero stuff and all that, I buy into that 100%. I have so much respect and admiration for Bret Hart and that will never, ever diminish, bro. Yeah. And uh, one of the big feuds happened at this time. And it's one of my favorite ever storylines, uh, Kane and the Undertaker. And, you know, Kane made that great entrance, that uh, bad blood for the Hell in a Cell match. And, just the evolution of the storyline. What was it like working with these two? I mean, two of the greatest wrestlers of all time. Definitely two of the best gimmicks. Doing these storylines every week and thinking of something new and just, just letting the story evolve with Paul Bearer and stuff. Well, bro, you, you, you just said it at the end, bro. Don't forget Paul Bearer. Like, yeah. he was so integral to this story, bro. And he was so good. And you knew everything you gave him. He was just going to knock it out of the ballpark. But, bro, when you've got two characters like this that are so well-defined and you've got a backstory and you've got anticipation and you've got build, you have magic. 
um, and you really care about a winner and a loser and you want the brothers to get back together. But, bro, you've got to paint those pictures. They don't just happen. But when you're working with people that talented, bro, the beauty of it is you know like when 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 all this is in your mind and you're writing it on the paper, you know that's exactly what you're going to get. You know you're going to get exactly what you're writing because the talent was the talent was just so unbelievably good, bro. Yeah. Um speaking of talent, um you could say you oversaw his debut as Rocky Maivia going to the nation and to this night which in my opinion Vince uh this is probably one of your greatest night of work, Survivor Series 98 and Deadly Games Tournament. And, you know, The Rock was not recently just turned babyface and he was so hot. If he wasn't, you know, top, he was very close to Austin in terms of popularity during this point. And, you know, everyone presumed, you know, Mankind was going to win it because he thinks is looking after him. He's part of the corporation. And the turn at the end with the sharpshooter, it was just a perfect night of storytelling. So... What went into this night? Because, like I said, this is for if we isolated this as one night of like your career, this is unparalleled, in my opinion. Well, I, James, I got to be honest with you, man. And and what you know, it wasn't really one night because we were building a story like months and months ahead of time, but nobody saw it. Nobody was really paying attention, but we were dropping so many hints. Yes. You know, bro, I'll, ne- I'll never forget. We, you know, we knew what we were going to do for a long time. And um, we got to like the week before the Survivor Series. And, you know, me and Ed Ferraro were sitting there and writing the show. And we wanted to totally, totally, totally like throw. If anybody was smartening up to this, we wanted to totally throw them off track. Yeah. So me and Ed are sitting there writing. And we came up with, okay, bro, Rock is going to drop the people's elbow on Vince, like the yeah. week before. And, bro, I remember agonizing over this because Rock made you think, bro, when he dropped the people's elbow on somebody, like he might as well have put, been putting a shotgun in their mouth, yeah. right? Yeah. So <laughs> I remember I'm agonizing over this, and I'm like, oh, Ed, the people's elbow, like, I just don't know. And, bro, Ed Ferrara just looked at me and he said, Vince, it's an elbow. <laughs> and yeah. I said, you're right, bro. All it is is an elbow. Like, it was built up to be this, yeah, bro, Vince McMahon should be able to take rock dropping an elbow. But, bro, yeah. listen, I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this confidently because I know what was put into this. I know I had the greatest a writing partner of all time, bro. You're never going to see a story like that again. Never, never, never. That was months and months and months of planning, bro. That doesn't happen anymore, bro. They still don't know the WrestleMania card and it's three weeks away. Exactly. That's true. And, um, like I said, that night was just perfect storytelling. And you, you took someone who was beloved baby face at time, like recently temp face, but he was so beloved and just switched it like that to the biggest heel. And, you knew where you was going for WrestleMania. So it was just awesome. And um, so one of the things I want to talk about your writing. So it's safe to say, you know, you was influenced by the Jerry Springer show. And people like to say it's Car Crash TV, but I don't think people realize 
during that time how big the Jerry Springer show was. I mean, my parents, I remember them buying the video cassettes to watch it like over here in England. And it was so big and it was a sign of the times like during that time. And that's what it was. So with you, like the content you put on, like the sexual content and profanity with like, say, DX and Falvinus and Sable, like, was that where you took some of your influences? And is that, do you think that's something what's missing today? Like people's not tapping into what's popular yeah, today? You know, bro, people, James, people have to really do their research because first of all, the show was on from nine to 11 o'clock at night. This, yeah. this show is for adults. This show is not, this is not on nine to 11 o'clock in the morning. It's yeah. on nine to 11 o'clock at night. Bro, a lot of people will use as an excuse that I guess the WWE's rating today is what, PG-13, whatever it is? Uh, not even that. I think it's just PG. <laughs> whatever it is. But, bro, yeah. my point is look up. Look up what their rating is and what they're allowed to do within yeah. the perimeters. Bro, they're nowhere close. They're nowhere close to doing what they are allowed to do. Bro, I, I could tell you right now, if I were writing that show tomorrow, which, which I won't be, the rating has nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with it. Bro, a lot of people talk about being risque and sexy and this and that. First of all, bro, there was, there was no nudity on the show. Like, yeah. bro, what, what was what was violence and risque uh, 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 threatening to cut off uh, Val Venus's pee-pee? When you really look at what we did, bro, like you have this vision in your mind of like it was X-rated. And I'm like... What what did we do that was X-rated? They're nowhere close to doing what they're allowed to do. The problem is, bro, that they are creatively bankrupt. And, bro, you're going to be creatively bankrupt when you've got the same people in the same position for decades and decades and decades and decades. You're going to be creatively bankrupt, and that's where they are. Yeah, and I mean, like we said, like the sexual content. So there was a certain demographic. You was hitting you, the teenage boys and in sorority houses and stuff. And like you know, me growing up in the ruthless aggression era, they kind of brought that back a little bit. And you know, I'm a young red uh, red blooded male. I appreciated it. And I right. imagine a lot of young lads back in the day appreciated seeing Sable, very beautiful woman. Uh, but I don't know. Everyone seems to be like really soft around that area, but I mean that's a discussion for another day. But as for Sable, like, what was she like to work with? Because I heard, like, you know, you read the reports, like, towards the end of her tenure, she was very difficult to work with. Well, bro, I I wasn't there towards the end of her tenure, but right. bro, I, I could tell you every every night I worked with Mark and uh, Sable bro, no problem whatsoever zero 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 bro I was the one that called Sable with the idea of putting the woman's title on her bro she had never been in a wrestling rink yeah. and she was like what let, let me put Mark on the phone so Mark got on the phone I said Mark Sable would be huge I said, can you get her in that ring? And, bro, she got in that ring, and she learned how to work and take bumps. Bro, Sable was a lot tougher. I mean, as a shoot, than yeah. people might have imagined. She was not, you know, prissy, and she would fight. 
And, uh, bro, I have all the respect in the world for her. I loved working with her. I never had one single issue with her being a diva or anything like that. Uh, like I said, bro, when I left, I don't know what happened, but right. I never had a problem with her. Yeah, and as for popularity, I mean, she was not so, not quite Austin levels, but she was there. Oh, she, she was, was right there. Austin. There was a point in time, James, she was right behind Austin, yeah. bro. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. And uh, one of the uh, biggest turning points in the Monday Night Wars, you could say, was when he's put the belt on Mankind. And uh, over in WCW, Tony Schiavone infamously said, you know, that'll put butts in seats when he spoiled it. So, a two part question, really. So, did you hear beforehand that they, I mean, they, they was known for doing it for, uh, a lot, but did you hear beforehand that they spoiled the result? And when you realize, the channel change from the audience. How did that feel? Bro, I got to be honest with you, man. We, when they were kicking our ass, bro, and we were starting at the bottom, James, I swear to you, I, w I, I was not paying attention to what, WCW was doing bro like right. you know you know how like every week now you're reading about AEW and NXT with the numbers going back and forth right. and Cody's always commenting and Khan's always bro we didn't bro it's like you know again I'm gonna go to sports by you it's soccer Okay, yeah. like when you talk to a coach of a of the, of a soccer team and you ask them about the competition, what does the coach always say? Bro, we can't worry about the competition. We have to win games. That's what yeah. any coach will tell you. You can't control what the competition is or isn't going to do. So, bro, we didn't pay any attention to them. We you know, we I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't care what they were doing. We had to win games. We had yeah. to win Monday nights, and 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 our focus was one hundred percent on making Raw a better show. Yeah, and uh, when you put the belt on Mankind, I mean, greatly deserved. Like the guys put many years of work, and and um, what, what was it like uh, putting the belt on Mankind? I would imagine that's one of your proudest moments as well. Oh yeah, bro, it's absolutely great. I mean, when you you know you, to know Mick is to love Mick, bro, and uh, you know we we were both Long Island boys. Uh, we 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 were rivals in high school, so uh, it was uh, it was you know, bro, when when somebody deserves something like that, and you're the one that can do it, like bro, I say it all along. I I don't care about ratings. I don't care about uh um you know success with The Rock. Uh, yeah, I don't care about any of that stuff. My greatest accomplishment in wrestling, and if it was with all the hell and the BS and everything I take to this day, yeah. bro, the fact that I was able to put that world title on Booker T, yes, who worked his butt off and deserved it and was getting clearly being kept down. And the fact that I was able, and I was in a position to say, no, bro, no more, you know, it's over that, that right there, bro, was my proudest achievement worth everything that I still take to this day. Yeah. I've heard you mention that many interviews, like the book T was your proudest moment, which we'll get to WCW in a bit. Um, but one thing, and we mentioned it earlier, so we said like we're three weeks, three or four weeks away from WrestleMania, however long it is, and we still kind of got in our direction. And like in the build to WrestleMania uh, 15, so the go home show on that brawl was 
you know, fence and the, the rocks in the ring and Austin comes in with the beer truck and squirting the beer everywhere. And, you know, it's just, you know, you, these moments you'll never forget. Right. What a way to do a go-home show. And now these days, it's just like they're just trying to make their way to the pay-per-view. And even when we get to the pay-per-view, I mean, sometimes we get a good show, many times, not so much. But what's it like, you know, obviously WrestleMania, you had sorted. It was all booked and, you know, you knew you was going to get big numbers. But you never relaxed. You wanted to keep going and yep. going. And that yep. go-home show, I'm like, wow. So what's it like doing this massive go-home show and then the success of making year 15? You know, Chris, you know what it is, bro? Bro, first of all, like, we never celebrated victories. Like, we never stopped to smell the roses. Never, bro. Never, never. We were never putting ourselves over for the ratings. Bro, we always were focused on this week's show has to be better than last week's. Yeah. That, we, bro, it was, it was like an obsession with us. But, bro... The fact, you know, me and Ed, our names were on that show. We wanted it to be the best that it could be. I mean, bro, recently I had the honor of um, doing an interview with a guy by the name of uh, Carl Gottlieb who wrote, wrote Jaws. And, bro, this guy lived with Steven Spielberg for four months, lived with him, oh, wow. ate with him, slept with him. And, bro, getting the feel of a young Steven Spielberg back then, he just wanted this movie to be perfect. Yeah. That's how we were with every single show, bro. We, we, we wanted it to be the best it possibly can be. That's why, again, bro, you talk about today's product. And, I, and when I'm done watching these shows, I'm like, how can Vince McMahon look himself in the mirror and say, yeah, we did the best job week. No, bro. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what happened? Yeah, it's true. And uh, I mean, like the following year left, but before that happened, I'm mean, tragedies in wrestling and Owen Hart falling. I mean, you know, some people try to blame you. It was not your fault, in my opinion. It was just a complete another accident. Okay, um, it was horrible. But I would imagine, like, because. Owen and I've interviewed plenty of wrestlers who shared a locker room with him. He was so beloved. So, what was it like that, that you know that night when it happened? And I can imagine it was just so horrible. Bro, it's you. You can't. It's like it's not happening. You know, yeah. bro. When, when you're in that kind of a, you can't. You can't comprehend it. Like you. You just can't. You're you're just numb and you're just you bro seriously when you're in that type of a situation you can't you can't comprehend what's happening that's why a lot of so many people criticize Vince for the show going on bro you think anybody that night was in their right frame of mind like come on you think Vince McMahon was thinking about the show and 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 ending the like bro it, it was just Bro, it was just an unbelievable situation and you were numb and you were just empty. Like it, I can't even put it into words, bro, because I've never experienced the, the closest I experienced to that, bro, was, uh, you know, finding out the night of, of Brian Pillman's death. We, we he, yeah. he didn't show up to the show. Yeah. So that was the closest moment I had to that. And bro, you can't, you can't even put into words what that experience is like. 
Yeah, it was horrible. Um, well, I like to lighten the mood. So Owen was famous for his ribs. So was you ever a part of one of them? <laughs> nah, bro, because the, the the boys would rib the boys. You know, like yeah. I was considered office, you know. So yeah. like, you know, but uh, no, bro, I was, but he was, uh, you know, I mean, bro, what 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 hasn't been said about Owen? I mean, he was such a genuine, great husband, father, co-worker friend i mean he was he was one of a kind bro yeah and um so we're coming towards the end and uh i mean you've heard he say you know hearsay she say uh and i think one of the main reasons is and you've explained it well they want they just started doing smackdown and they wanted you and ed to write two shows and it's kind of similar to WCW, Eric Bischoff, because, you know, he said once, you know, Ted Turner announced the fact it was going to do Thunder, it was like, I know we're not going to be able to keep up with this. But I don't think that's how you looked at it. You was, I think the way you looked at it was like, you're writing two shows, but you're getting paid the same. Surely you should be getting paid double. So tell us how it was like they, they announced SmackDown and, you know, to the point where eventually you made your departure. It Bro, it wasn't really a money thing. I, I swear to God, bro, it was not a money thing. First of all, Number one, we were upset because Vince told us after like the decision had been made. He right. never said, hey, you guys, do you think you can write? Never had that discussion with us. So it's it's dropped on us and it's already a done deal. So so that pissed us off. Yeah. Bro, what we were more pissed off about more than anything, and I, I, I said it to you earlier in the interview, bro, we took such great pride in how great raw was and and bro literally putting our blood sweat and tears into that show we couldn't do that on another show it, it would have been mentally physically emotionally impossible so right away ed and i were like wait a minute bro we can't make SmackDown as good as Raw. It's it's you can't do it. It's too bro. It's like writing a four hour movie every single week. You can't. We can't do it. So we we were more concerned with what what would SmackDown and Raw now look like if we had to cut our time in half. Yeah. So it re it really 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 wasn't a money issue, but um. You know, bro. At that point, you know, there there was just a I, 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 there was a lot of stress. Uh, you know, now Vince was doubling down with this new show. Uh, you know, I, and I had a conversation with him, bro, and I was really stressing out. And uh, you know, I wasn't seeing my kids. I wasn't seeing my family. And I just wanted to be able to move my wife closer to her family. That's yeah. all I wanted to do. So I had the conversation with Vince. And that's when Vince said to me, Vince, I don't know what your problem is. You make enough money. Why don't you hire a nanny to take care of your kids? Bro, when he said that to me, it was bro, go F yourself. Yeah. F your, you are not more important than my kids. Right then and there, bro, in my mind, it was game over. I, yeah. I was done with Vince McMahon. I immediately made contact with WCW. And, and that weekend, I was signing a contract with WCW. I don't regret it for a second. I don't care what happened at WCW. You're not going to blatantly not give a crap about my family. And I'm going to work for you. 
Nah, bro, game over. And that was it. Fair enough. And uh, you made your way to WCW. So what was the state of management and the locker room at the time? Because you've been with WWE now for a few years. And, you know, the traders, you know, it's a well-oiled machine. And everyone always said that WCW was just full of chaos. So when you walked through them doors at WCW, was that how it was? It was just chaos and no one knew where it was. Absolute, bro, absolute chaos. <laughs> absolute <laughs> chaos, little clicks, politics. Who was a pro Russo guy? Who didn't want Russo there? Bro, I, I, I was overcome the very first day I walk, walked into the locker room. I, I knew exactly what I was walking into. Yeah, um, crazy. But one of the guys you decided to basically handpick yourself, I suppose. So um, before you came in, he was being wasted, and that was uh, Bret Hart. And, you know, you walked in and, you know, started the uh, multi-man tournament uh, to declare him as the champion at uh, Mayhem. So, I mean, it sounds like a deaf question. Why Bret? Why not Bret? But uh was he the one who you thought, right, I'm, I can build this company back round again? Uh, bro, it was more of a personal thing because they were so misusing him. It was like, what What are you doing? Like, that's Bret Hart. Like, what yeah. are you doing? So, like, I knew, like, it was so glaring. I knew, like, the first thing we had to do was put Bret in, in, in the position that he needed to be in. Bret, yeah. Bret Hart was not a second-rate player. No, that's true. And uh, it led to all these match with Goldberg at Starcade. Uh, unfortunately, he suffered a serious concussion, which it wasn't diagnosed at the time, but eventually we found out. But during this time, you've made the NWO 2000 with Brett, Jeff Jarrett, and uh, Hall and Nash and Steiner. So, unfortunately, because of the injury to Brett and Jarrett got injured as well, uh, you had to like dissolve the group. But what was the original plans for the NWO 2000? Oh God, bro! I don't, I don't remember. You know, now that <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I honestly don't remember. But I know we were building them, we were putting them together, we were gonna make them strong. But I don't remember exactly what the long term plan was. Well, that's fair enough. And uh, so, a few months into your uh, creative spell, um, WCW decided to make the uh, committee, and uh, one of the reasons for it was because uh, I suppose it. David Arquette debacle. Um, like, it, I know, like this is, it always comes up with you. So, David Arquette. So, in a, in a method in the madness, I understand why you've done it. Um, because, like, you thought, right, you're doing the movie with Ready to Rumble, and, you know, he's a well-known TV star, film star. It's got a proper rating. And I think the following week, it was in one of the major magazines. Is it... Uh, we d- we don't live with regrets, but it, is it a decision you think? Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have went ahead with it. Or absolutely not. No, nope. absolutely not. I don't. Re- I don't regret that for a second, bro. At that time, we were starving for publicity. The very next day, WCW was on the cover of USA Today all over the country. Th- that wouldn't have happened if uh, Diamond Dallas Page would have won the match. Then, then David Arquette has the WCW title with, with Kevin Cosner, Courtney Cox, uh, Kurt Russell, some of the hottest movie stars of that time were promoting WCW and the WCW title. 
Not at all. Absolutely not. Zero, zero, zero regrets. Bro, people don't understand this. And that's why, like, if if you're going to talk out of ignorance, I, 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 don't, I don't hear you. Yeah. Bro, when you're writing two shows a week and a pay-per-view, okay, that is 116 shows a year, okay? Yep. Bro, when you're writing 116 shows, unless you you want to keep repeating everything over and over and over, watch the WWE, bro. Every angle, I'm mad at you. No, I'm mad at you. No, oh, you're stupid. No, you're stupid. Everything is the same. Yeah. If you want to create situations and television and tell and content in wrestling, scenes that people have never seen before. Stuff like this needs to happen. You can't keep going down the same road. You need to take a a detour. And all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, David Arquette is the WCW champion. Where are they going to go from here? Wait, what what do you mean Russo got speared out of the cage and won the title? Bro, you need to create situations like that so it's not the same old, same old, same old. And bro, unless you're writing 116 shows a year, you will never understand that. That's why we created moments like that, because those moments would open up a creative envelope where now we could do a hundred different things than we couldn't do before. And like I said, bro, now they don't do stuff like that anymore. So what do we see? We see the same show week after week after week after week. Yeah. And um, so, like I said, uh, we got the committee and they wanted you to be part of it, but you wanted to remain head writer, so you departed. But you made your return and they paired you up with Bischoff and uh, we'll get into Bischoff later. But one of the things uh, what started happening was yourself becoming an on-screen character and this uh, new blood for you bringing an Airs Club uh, angle, which I personally enjoyed. Like, you know, you had the young, um, you know, the kids basically, the, the new guys wanting to make a name for themselves and a few of them with the established, like, flair and such. So what was it like uh, writing this uh, storyline? Ah, uh, bro, I thought it was great, but you you got to understand, bro. Like when I was writing for the WWE, Vince McMahon had my back, yeah. so nobody messed with me. Nobody could f with me. I knew I could just concentrate on writing my show. When I'm writing for WCW, bro, and and there's a political landmine going on around you. Bro, you you can't you just can't work in that kind of environment. Bro, thank God I was concussed. Like like yeah. honestly, bro, thank God I was concussed and I couldn't do my job because bro, it was a no-win situation. I couldn't work with Eric. Eric didn't like me. I didn't like him. Eric wanted his old job back. It was such a political nightmare, bro. I never could have functioned in that environment. Yeah. And uh, speak about political. So, I mean, you've said, you've talked about this a million times. 
Bash at the Beach uh, 2000. So for people that hasn't heard about it, I don't know who hasn't. Uh, so now I've heard Bischoff say that. So you went, you know, you gave 50 million ideas to Hogan and Hogan just wouldn't agree to any of them. And I don't know if there was um, an agreement that Hogan would win, uh, beat Jeff that night, leave for seven months, and then come back and face whoever was champion that's at the time. All, and have that, like a that, champion, that's, champion. That, bro, that's all, that's all BS. It's, it's, if you look at the depositions um, of the case, Right. And they're, they're online, bro. I go, yeah. bro. I've, I've put them up myself. I've yeah. put them, my deposition, Hogan's deposition and Eric's deposition. You, they're on file, bro. When you read these three depositions, Hulk and Eric aren't even telling the whole story. I mean, the, the same story. Hulk and Eric could not even get on the page to sell, tell the same story. Eric tells one story. Hulk tells a completely different story. There were three of us in the room. Three of us. Those two were friends. I was the outsider. Those two could not even tell the same story. Bro, it, it, it would take me an hour to go through a story. I've gone through it a million times. It's it's verbatim in my book. I didn't I didn't give Hogan a bunch of pitches. I pitched him one story, one story that he agreed to, and it's exactly the way the story went down. Nothing changed. The problem came, bro. Here's where the problem came. The problem came uh, when I told Hulk, bro, once TV is over and I get back to the office, I will call you and we will we will figure out where we go from here. Because, bro, that night we're hours away from the show now. We, I've got to get this show done. I couldn't have a conversation with Hulk where, what, what it was going to be doing next month. Bro, we got to get this show done. So I told Hulk, I will call you as soon as I get back to the office. Okay. Soon as I got back to the office, bro, I met with Brad Siegel. Brad asked me what happened. I laid down everything a uh, minute by minute of what went down. And Brad said to me, where, where did you leave things with Hulk? And I said, Brad, I'm supposed to call Hulk to discuss where we go with him creatively. And Brad Siegel said to me, Vince, don't call Hulk. I can't afford to put him on the show. Right. So, be, and Brad Siegel's the top yeah. guy. So because Brad Siegel told me that I did not call Hulk when I told him that I would, the yeah. fact that I didn't call Hulk pissed Hulk off. Next thing I know, I'm here with a defamation of loss, defamation of character lawsuit. Uh, and the rest is history. The lawsuit got thrown out not once, but twice. But everything I've ever said about that night is the absolute truth. But you know what? I, I probably should have told Brad, Brad, no, I gave him my word, bro. I told him I was going to call him. If you want to call him and tell him I can't afford to pay you, you can. But I should have just, I should not have called him 
when I told him I was going to that, that's where I, that's where I made a big mistake. Yeah. And, uh, one of your last things in WCW. So, uh, I'll be remiss if I never talked about it. So kind of similar to the Arquette situation. So you become world champ. So, I mean, I've seen you answer this and I've seen people ask you angrily and aggressive. So I like to think I'm a respectful person. So in my opinion that, so this is me, as the wrestling fan watching this happen. So end of the day, like wrestling's a TV show, and that's how you've explained it. So for me, part of the TV show, there has to be a goal for every character. So with wrestling, it's the world title. And the world title must be the be all and end all for this TV show. And, you know, it, it, it's reserved for the best of the best. Like you have to be the best athlete or, you know, the best character to win this title. So you had this cage match, uh, whatever kind of match it was with Bookend, you got speared out and you won the title. And yeah, it was a fluky way how you won it, which was an out for yourself. But do you feel like you winning the title devalued it? And do you feel like... Don't don't, don't go any further, bro, because uh, people people twist twist stuff over time and i'm not gonna play that game because it's 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 a massive waste of my time at this at my age bro here's the bottom line i was speared out of a cage almost killed and technically won the world title because i got out before booker Okay, I was literally concussed, almost unconscious, and I I won the WCW title. Bro, on the very next show, I relinquished the title. Bro, I didn't even wait till the next Nitro. On the very next Thunder, I relinquished the title. And basically, the fact of the matter is, I did win this thing as a fluke. I had no business being the WCW champion. I didn't want to be the WCW champion. And that's why on the very next show, I relinquished the title. The 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 fact that people have spoken about that for 20 years is embarrassing for them. It's embarrassing for them, bro. The very next show, I said, I don't want this. Here it is. I don't know what else more I could have done, bro. Yeah, fair enough. And, uh, you know, I think I said, I didn't even wait till the following Nitro. I did it on the very next Thunder. Come on. I mean, come on, bro. Stop. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, true. (laughs) And uh, because of that concussion, I think that led to your departure as well. And yes, I was so happy to be concussed. <laughs> and uh, so WCW folded, and you had a brief spell in WWE for like two weeks. It didn't work out, and you eventually made your way towards TNA. So I would imagine it was Jeff who gave you the call. So your first run between 02 and 04, I think you've mentioned that it wasn't the greatest experience working. You was purely an on-screen character. So what was it like just being purely an on-screen character in your first run in TNA? Ah, bro, the hard thing about the first run really was, bro, I was like the middleman between Dixie and Jeff. They did not get along, and I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. It was no fun for me. 
Um, th- those two could not communicate. They could not talk. So that's why I decided to, to leave. And the yeah. only reason, bro, I came back was because, um, you know, unfortunately, Jeff's wife was dying. And yeah. I knew I knew Jeff needed help um, taking care of his wife and his kids. And like as a friend, more than anything, I went back to help him. And then, bro, you know, then 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 the Kurt Angle, Karen Angle incident where Jeff got sent home. Then Dixie gets worked by Hogan and Bischoff to bring them both in. And basically, bro, when that happened, it was game over. It it was a different company. It was no longer fun. Uh, They were they were paying people money they didn't have. And that's that's when I finally left again uh, in like 2012 and never turned back. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I want to talk about, Hogan and Bischoff being brought in. And for decision, uh, TNA was on such a good run. I mean, I've spoken to former TNA employees like um, Doug Williams and ODB, who, by the way, sings your praises. Uh, oh, they I really appreciate that. it. I just, I, I just heard he was coming back or something. I was a, yeah. bro, I swear to God, I wish when I was writing for all these companies, there were 10 Doug Williamses. On yeah. on my roster, I swear to God, man, I don't know why Doug Williams is so underrated. I I have no idea why. I I, I yeah. loved working with this guy. Yeah, they had a lot of praise for you and ODB. She says one of the best things about your writing was having a character, and that's something she said is missing today. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Bischoff and Hogan came in, like I said before, this happened. TNA was on such a big run, and delivering great matches and your know, stories. We had the likes of AJ Styles, Kurt Angle, Christian Cage, Sting, all these guys busting their asses having great matches. Whose <laughs> wise decision was it to go Monday night against Raw? Because that was the beginning of the end from there. Er, er, Eric, Eric and, and Hogan convinced Dixie it was a great idea, and Dixie was sold that it was a great idea. And I'm sitting there saying, bro, I'm a very logical, basic guy, Okay. Bro, from a financial standpoint alone, we yeah. there was no way we, we could afford to go head-to-head with them. Financially, our show was not going to look like their show. And like just that alone, you don't have to get into the hundred other reasons why. We did not have the money to compete with them. But Hogan and Bischoff convinced her it was a good idea, and they did it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, she's one of the people I want to speak about, Dixie. Like, I've heard she's a lovely person, but was she too gullible, I suppose, would be the perfect word. And, you know, she was just in too much, it's <laughs> similar to Tony Khan. Um, Bro, is, is first, of all, first, of all, first of all, I want to say this because I worked for Dixie for almost 10 years. Yeah. I've been following Tony Khan now for a year and a half. Bro, I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, Dixie Khan is the Albert Einstein of professional wrestling compared to Tony Khan. I cannot believe, bro, the same people that were burying Dixie Carter on a weekly basis are praising, are praising Tony Khan. Dixie Carter was a billion times smarter 
than Tony Khan. Here's what happened at Dixie Khan uh, to Dixie Carter, bro. And Jeff Jarrett had a lot to do with this. Okay, bro. When Jeff started TNA, it was his company. Yes. He lost his sponsor. TNA was dead. Right. He needed to find somebody with money. Dixie had the money. Okay. But to Jeff, it was still Jeff's company. So Jeff wanted Dixie's money, but didn't want Dixie to have anything to do with the money, to, with the company. No decisions, nothing. He, he still wanted it to be his company with her funding it. Okay, so what Jeff did was because Jeff's a wrestler and they're maniacal and they're manipulating and they're workers. Bro, Jeff early on made Dixie believe that she was an absolute idiot. He made her believe she knew nothing about wrestling. She couldn't make any decision. Don't open your mouth because I will just laugh at you. He literally, any confidence Dixie Carter had, Jeff Jarrett completely stripped away from her because he wanted to be in control. He wanted to be the boss. So, bro, that explains that's why Dixie went from person to person to person and kept hiring other people to make the decisions for her. Because within that first year, Jeff Jarrett convinced Dixie Carter that she was totally incompetent. Uh, and and should 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 not even open her mouth when it came to the wrestling business, and and he just stripped her of any confidence, any decision decision making, any ideas, and she never changed from that, bro. That's why she when she tried to hire Jr. She brought in John Gaborik. She brought in Bruce Pritchard. She brought in Eric Bischoff. That's why she kept doing that, because she had no confidence in her own ability to make decisions. I don't know. Great lady, so, though, bro. I mean, I, I love Dixie. I, I would tell her if she was sitting here, I would say, Dixie, this is the way I feel. It has nothing to do with how I feel about her personally. Yeah, I've heard many people like Kevin Ash and that say, like, you know, she was a lovely person to work for, but um, the boys took advantage. Um, yeah. Yep. So we're coming towards near the end. So I went to Twitter and I got a few uh, quick questions. So uh, I don't know if you've looked at them, but I'll ask you. So at Kid Wilkes uh, asked, um, was there a performer you wanted to work with but never had the chance to do so? Oh, bro, I, I, well, now definitely Bray. I mean, my yes. God, that poor guy, that poor guy, bro. I, I'll, I'll tell you right now, without batting a freaking eyelash, if I was writing for Bray Wyatt from day one, he would right now, without a shadow of a doubt, be at Undertaker status. Period. End of story. I, I, I could care less what, what if anybody agrees with that or not. The one guy I never got to work, I, I wish I would have got to work with Cena, bro. I never got to work. I never yeah. met John Cena. I never got to work with John Cena. Bro, I was actually consulting for the WWE before Cena broke. And I remember I gave them some creative that was re that really jumped the gun in getting Cena over that that they didn't do because they were afraid to do it out oh, too soon, too soon, too soon. But I would have loved to work with John Cena. Awesome. And uh, at SCW, Steve asks, um, if he was in charge of WWE today, 
Which superstar would you push to the main event who's not a current main eventer? It's pretty tough because no, everyone's buried. <laughs> I mean, man, bro. But I mean, when you're talking main event, I mean, Roman definitely deserves to be there. I think Drew definitely deserves it. I think Bobby, I think they all deserve to be there. You know, bro, I, I like I said, I'm just going to go back to Bray Wyatt. I, I mean, yeah. th this guy should be a bona fide main eventer, and they've just absolutely killed him. Yeah. Uh, when you say Bray Wyatt, so do you mean Bray Wyatt when he was Bray Wyatt or as The Fiend? Or both, bro, I suppose. No, he, he would have never even had to go to The Fiend. That, right. that one character that he brought into the company, oh, my. How they botched that, bro, I have no idea. Yeah, the Wyatt family, uh, for the time when they first came up, they was pretty damn awesome and uh, just went by the wayside. Uh, and final question from Twitter, at UTT Rob. So he asked, do you think the dirt sheet writers already formed their opinion of you while you was writing the, while you uh, changed the direction of the WWF magazine? Uh, uh... Well, bro, I, I had a, a bad experience with Dave Meltzer even before I was hired by the WWE. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, I saw I saw that side of what they were doing, um, and I didn't like that side. I mean, I wanted to get into the wrestling business because I was a fan and I enjoyed it, and I, 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 I wanted to make it more popular. They were always on that dark side rumor gossip so like i i had i had issues with dave Meltzer before i even got into the wwe but the hatred comes and, and bro this is so elementary and immature and childish bro as a wrestling fan when i wrote in the wrestling business i wanted there i wanted to recruit as many wrestling fans as possible I wanted millions and millions and millions and millions of people to be wrestling fans. Bro, you could see the mindset today with the AEW fans. It's like all, all inclusive. They, they don't want you in there in a circle. Bro, bro, does that make any sense to anybody? <laughs> like, how is anybody going to make any money if, oh, it's only us and we're going to shut everybody out? Good luck with that. But, bro, where the hatred towards me comes is... Bro, I offered a very entertaining product. It was entertainment-based. There was something for everybody. You didn't have to be a hardcore wrestling fan. On the other side, bro, these dirt sheets, I swear to God, James, when you listen to their shows, because I do a show on Russo'sBrand.com every week called Castrating the Marks. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> when you listen to their show, bro, you would think these guys have convinced themselves that wrestling is real. Bro, if anybody listened to their show for the first time and they didn't know Meltzer and Keller and all these guys, that person would say, do they think this is real? So, bro, the fact that they got five-star matches and we need 20-minute matches and the fact that it's all about the fake fight, the fake fight, the fake fight, the fake fight, which doesn't draw... And then you got the guy over here saying, no, bro, it's about the entertainment for everybody. And this does draw, bro, they can't say, hey, you know what, bro, he's right and we're wrong. Like Raw drew millions and millions and millions of people. AEW is drawing 750,000?
May, yeah. Maybe he's right. Nah, bro. They're never going to say that. So it's, it's, it's always going to be the way it is. But I, I've said this all along, James. The wrestling business has killed the wrestling business. It's, yeah. it's, it's nobody else's fault, bro. You can't, it's not the, the television viewers. It's not the casual fans. The business itself has killed the business. Awesome. And um, so to sign off before we go to social media and your brand. So like Vince Russo and people's perception of Vince Russo. Now we've mentioned that actually, right. Is, I mean, they've got a very biased fear of wrestling. I mean, they give AEW so many free passes. I've never seen a company that gets away with so much than what I've seen with AEW. And I've tried with AEW. I'm a wrestling fan, like I said, so I gave it a chance. It's not for me. It's like we mentioned, I love a good wrestling match as much as the next person. I've said earlier, Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler of all time. I appreciate a good match, but I appreciate stories better. And AEW to me, it's just match, match, match. Not just AEW. NXT's the same. It's just match after match after match. So... I think that's the reason why Dirt Sheet writers don't like you, because you use more story, and that's what they're to. But at the same time, so you get a lot of hate online, okay? It's no secret. But at the same time, when I've seen the people like Stone Cold put you over, The Rock, because I think it was last year or the year before, and The Rock actually came out and said, that I don't understand why Russo gets so much hate. I enjoyed every minute working with you. To paraphrase him, it was along them lines. Shawn Michaels puts you over. All these legends puts you over. So... You know, like, and the thing, we mentioned the ratings. People are so obsessed with the ratings these days, and they're still, and, and NXT and AEW is fighting over that 1.5 million. It's never gone higher. That's a combined number. You was getting six and seven million. So it's weird. They like to criticize your work. I mean, yes, Prince, you've had brilliant ideas. You've had a few bad ideas, like everyone, okay? Simple as that. But they're so obsessed with ratings and they're quick to bury you. But at the same time, they seem to ignore these numbers well, bro, <laughs> when see, you, you've drawn six and seven million. <laughs> that, that's the beauty of it, James. Like, honestly, that's the beauty of it, because with what's going on now, I can sit back and not say a word. And week by week by week, they're all exposing themselves. They're yeah. all exposing themselves. And James, like, you know, again, like something like this where, you know, they, they'll always blame, oh, it was different back then. You know, we got streaming services and we got DVRs and we got this and we got that. Yeah, I hate to break the news to you. 17 million people tuned in to watch Harry and, and Megan. 17 million people. So you know what that means, bro? This is what Vince McMahon told me a very long time ago. And it still rings true to this day. If it's good, they'll watch it. Period. End of story, bro. If the ratings are down and they're not watching the show, it's because it's not good. But like I said, it, it's it's a beautiful thing for me now because now I could sit back. I could let them make up excuse after excuse after excuse because now they're just exposing themselves. We know what draws. Entertainment draws. Storylines draws. Characters draw. Soap operas draw. Men, women, children, all nationalities. It does that draws. The only thing that wrestling draws is wrestling fans. That's yeah. it. And that, that's why you've seen all the casual television viewers. You've seen them all disappear. The only people watching these shows are the hardcore wrestling fans. And the wrestling business did that to his fault. Well said. Well, Vince, it's been an absolute pleasure. But before we go, uh, tell them about the brand. And I mean, you're 
speaking of rosters, your roster is expanding every day. So terrible yeah, about no, your shows. Bro, I'm, I'm lucky because we are going on. Uh, we're, go, we're going on seven years in May, man. We've been doing oh, this wow. for seven years now. Yep. We have Russo'sBrand.com, and then I have Patreon.com forward slash Russo TWC, two different platforms of podcasts. And, bro, like we've got – oh, my I, – I, I always forget somebody. There's so much talent that has their own podcast. Um, Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat, Stevie Richards, Ben Hameen, Big Vito LaGrasso and Noel – just incredible. Shane Douglas, Disco Inferno, Taylor Hendricks, uh, Tom Pritchard, Kevin Sullivan, uh, Dirty Dutch Mantel, Goldilocks, the original interviewer, the beautiful people, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky. You could see all of them. And bro, we started like 75 cents a week. Bro, Meltzer gets like $12.99 a month. I just named all those people and you get it for starting at 75 cents a week, guys. Just go to Russo'sBrand.com or Patreon.com forward slash RussoTWC. I've got a lot, a lot of love for Go Deluxe. She was my first ever interview about, well, six, seven months ago. So a lot of love for Go Deluxe uh, because of uh, yeah, my show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because of her, uh, my show evolved into becoming an interview show. So without her, uh, I wouldn't be speaking to you. I wouldn't be yeah. speaking to Rob Van Dam. So uh, I thank her every day. Oh, that's but, cool. I appreciate that. That's cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, Vince, thanks very much. Like I said, I want to say thank you for the many years of enjoyment you gave myself and many others. And yeah, uh, I don't think we'll ever see you back in the res- wrestling business, but we enjoy listening to your shows every week. And yeah, just want to say thank you again for your time. Oh, thank you, bro. Thanks for having me, man.